Hello everybody, Kevin Markwick here again on the sound of the picture house the picture house in Uckfield this is our soundtracks sort of a strand where we talk about film music no full lot with us this week I'm afraid um, sorry about that ladies and gents we didn't record this at a Los Angeles friendly time. However, I had a really lovely time talking to Terry Davies. And if anyone knows about music, it's Terry. Um, some of you may be familiar with Terry. He uh, accompanied several silent movies now at the Picture House. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, we had a great Halloween evening with Phantom of the Opera. And the hilarious Buster Keaton film, The General. Good nights, all of them. Anyway, we've decided, of course, that uh, picking your favourite film scores uh, and even limiting, limiting them to ten... That's easy for you to say. ...is an almost impossible task. Anyway, Terry came up with a great list of music uh, for us to play and talk about. Uh, Terry started his professional uh, composing at the National Theatre, um, where he's been uh, an experienced musical director and orchestrator. Um, he worked oh, for 12 years, actually, um, with many leading actors and directors. Among his compositions for the National Theatre are The Voisey Inheritance, Scenes from the Big Picture, The Misanthrope, The Festival of New Plays. Uh, he also composed for the Nationals The Rise and Fall of Little Voice developing vocal routines with Jane Horrocks and Sam Mendes. Many other compositions for theatre include The Winter's Tale at the Crucible Sheffield, The Way of the World for Chichester Festival Theatre, um, uh, Arthur and George for Birmingham Rep, Dealer's Choice at the Menier Chocolate Factory and Trafalgar Studios Days of Wine and Roses at the Donmar Warehouse. Uh, he also composed uh, for a large number of Shakespeare productions at the RSC in Regent's Park, Open Air Theatre. Terry also wrote songs for the RSC's production of Alice in Wonderland. He's written two musicals, The Birds, commissioned by the Istanbul City Theatre, which ran for four years, and Kess the Musical for the Octagon Theatre Bolton, and uh, revived at York's Theatre Royal. He's an associate artist of Matthew Bourne's company New Adventures, and has written five of Matthew's dance scores. The Car Man, Play Without Words, Edward Scissorhands, uh, Dorian Gray and The Lord of the Flies. In the recording studio, Terry's conducted or orchestrated the music for about 70 feature films. Among these are Youth, Mr. Turner, uh, Stonehurst Asylum, W.E., The King's Speech, Another Year, The Illusionist, Brideshead Revisited, Happy Go Lucky and Brick Lane. Honestly, this just goes on and on. He's so clever. Anyway, this is our chat. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I certainly did. And there's some great music and some great insight. Um, so, yeah, I'm, what I'm thinking, because the, the first one on your list really intrigued me. Well, I, I've, I've actually, to be fair, to say it's Terry's list is a bit... <laughs> it is Terry's list, but I've put them in this order. So yeah, I don't know. Fine. Is that OK? Yeah, yeah of course. All right. Okay. Um, it's the Bells of St. Trinians, which is uh, fascinating. Malcolm Arnold. Yeah, absolutely. What, what what made you what made you alight on that one? 
Oh, he's a bit. He was a bit of a star, Arnold. I think really, and uh, he did. You know, he in the concert hall and all of that. He was his own, his own man, and sort of drove that sort of path between the kind of uh, the popular orchestral light, light music British Brigade, uh, and and sort of serious, uh, insightful mm. uh, classical stuff in the concert hall. And he, but he did write some great film scores, and uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know. Um, the Bills of Centurion is just, I just thought it was, you know, I think for a lot of the ones that I chose, like it's not just, uh, hopefully the music is worth worth some time listening on its own, but they go, they kind of have an approach to to their films that um, is interesting as a composer, you know, like you're trying to say something beyond what's on the screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, and, and I just thought, Centrinus, it just made me laugh when I, I hate music that is out goes sets out to be funny because it never works. But it, but it but the bells of Centrinians is just great because it is the school band playing that tune and I just it just right. made me laugh the minute I became aware of it. So I so I think it's good music and it's sort of so full of fun and life and uh, so I love it. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because that we we didn't have a massive raft of composers in British cinema early on, did we? It wasn't a thing. I mean, Bells of Centrinians is not particularly early, but, you know, it took a while for British film com- film composers to, to materialise. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. I mean, Arnold was, he kept his own, he was his own man, basically. Yes. And I, yeah. I kind of like that. And the, and also he had the authority. I think people let him have some space. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of interesting that the crossover was acceptable certainly in British cinema, you know, Arnold and William Walton and these people, the crossover between what what's, yeah. what was considered classical music and film music was quite acceptable. Whereas in the US, it seemed to me that those great composers like Korngold and, and Steiner and, and uh, um, you know, uh, even Bernard Herrmann, they, the, those two things didn't seem to, people didn't perceive that those two things crossed over in the same way. Yeah, I think that I think that is right. I think there is a certain sniffiness on both sides of the Atlantic, though, or was more right. than now. Don't you think about now? There is definitely yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, we were um, talking. I mean, because film scores now have uh, you know we're getting some quite extraordinary stuff coming out. You know, like the Johan Johansson stuff, and um, I always get I always trip up on this with Hilda. It's terrible. Yes, I mean, who I believe was a protege of Johansson's, but um, you know, film scores are really broadening out now. It seems to me, or maybe that's a naive thing to say. I don't know. I think that's right. I think the barriers are falling on all sides, mm. aren't they?
so he's having an awful lot of fun there isn't he that's what he's doing absolutely yeah it's great it's, you know there's a there's a particular thing you can when you know um i think there's something you can sort of smell in any kind of art form you know that i reckon it's just yes. my theory that right. you know really good very able artists absolutely on the top of their game having fun you kind of know it and uh, and it's just so enticing you know whatever the art form actually yeah and it fits the i mean my memories of them are seeing them on a saturday afternoon in my cinema or our cinema as it was at the time yeah. and uh they were kind of uh, such tremendous fun george cole's the spiff yeah. and alistair sim it never struck me as odd that it was a bloke playing the headmaster. No, no, normally, normally. <laughs> it was only some years later, you know. I went, hang on a minute, that's that's a bloke. It's <laughs> kind of funny. Well, he just does it so fantastically, doesn't he? He makes no apology and he just plays the fun. Yeah, I wonder if they played in the rest of the world those films. I don't know. They seem oh. peculiarly British to me. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, and, and actually more, I mean, as much as people fondly remember carry on movies although i think that we're beginning to distance ourselves ever so slightly from them now um they don't have that kind of um snarf snarf about them do they the centurion's movies in the no, same they way they feel more generous to me i don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. but it I, was I yeah I, I love the old, you know, and all the actors, all the character actors, you know, you'd see old Richard Wattis or, uh, you know, all the same faces over and over again. So next um, on on this uh, brilliant list is, a, I mean, it is a great list. Um, we're going to go to Citizen Kane, the okay. prelude from Citizen Kane. So, um, but the great Bernard Herrmann that we mentioned a moment ago. But what I'm interested in is um, I was reading about how you'd, uh, used Bernard Herrmann music in your uh, score, we call it a score, yeah. for yeah. for the Red Shoes for Matthew Bourne, which is fascinating, yeah. absolutely fascinating. What did so he did? Did he come up with "I Want Bernard Herrmann music" or did he come? You know, yeah, we we kind of have a have a sort of intermittent, ongoing conversation in in general about things, Matthew and I. And right, we've been working together a very long time now, but he's always had a a penchant for Bernard Herrmann. Uh, which I share, um, and we nearly did it in a different project, in fact. But it's just such great music, um, and so that was that came from Matthew, really. And he also decided that he wanted to use just the earlier scores, and not mostly not the familiar ones, not the Hitchcock scores. Right. Um, and um, I just think it. It was it was a good call actually. Apart from the answer there, it's all kind of practical stuff about rights and all of that. If you right. used to say take take one one scene, you know, one piece from twenty different films, it's going to drive some poor contractor person completely <laughs> bonkers. Absolutely so, crazy. So yeah. I, think, I think we in the end went down to about five or six films only, of which Citizen Kane was one. And of course, I suppose. Um not to diminish it, the, the scores before the Hitchcock ones, but the Hitchcock ones are the most familiar, aren't they? And they're the they, ones that the audience are going to go, hang on a minute, that sounds, I know, I know what that is. Absolutely. And, and had and had real influence. I mean, Perrin was, you know, has always been loved by other composers. Yes. Uh, but, no, he is, yeah. He very, that's the other thing to remember about Citizen Kane. It's just dazzling in its virtuosity, actually, and he's just so varied. You could You could pick any any one minute of the score of a long score and you you would have a great piece of music and all very very different yes yeah somehow all of a whole but he wrote it the the thing that i think 
sets it apart for me is that like Wells, like Orson Wells, they were very, very young. And, uh, it, yeah. and this is their first Hollywood film, both of them. And mm. they were just having having a good time. That's that actually Susan Kane of that thing I was saying about people at the top of their game having fun. That was never more true than Citizen Kane. I'd no, say. and they weren't they weren't restrained by what was expected of them either, were they? That was the thing. But I think he, I think somehow they wanted Wells so much, and he was so apparently indifferent as yeah. to it because he had so much going on in New York that he just he, they just wanted him at all costs. He was the Wunderkind, and they just said, "Okay, yeah, of course we won't have any um, editorial control." Mm. And I think they, I think didn't the. I think the as I remember reading that the um, publicity department weren't allowed to see the film until it was finished. That's quite <laughs> possible. You did you see so, Mank? Did you did you get around to seeing that? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I liked it. I mean, a lot of people yeah. didn't, but I quite liked it. Well, I liked it. I liked it medium. Yeah, I liked mm. it medium. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably not super accurate, but I don't care. <laughs> I quite like that period. Yeah, certainly worth a good worth a good look. But it seemed like a um a re- I mean I was just fascinated by the choice to do that with the red shoes the the ballet um yeah. because you know it actually has a ballet uh, sequence or you know mu- music there's music written for a ballet in the red shoes film isn't there? Uh, th- there is yes. a sort of yes yeah, something like that exactly and there, yeah. there's um but it's um yeah the the, cha- the challenge for, challenge for us mm. is, is in a show like that is to somehow make it our own to be yes, totally true mm. to to herman but to with the other scores mm. make it into one complete unified uh whole that makes sense on its own terms yes. and so that was that's always the technical challenge from a music point of view okay well i'm going to play this prelude which okay. is this the bit at the beginning yeah very 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 it's worth saying that the the orchestration of this is really peculiar very uh, like outrageous there's like loads and loads of uh, uh contra bassoons and like four or five bassoons and very low instruments it's really extraordinary choice of orchestration very again you know quite daring i'd say yeah well which the film of course was in the the year that it was made yeah. But again, it it always it always fascinates me that the two are now inseparable. Yet presumably Herman put this music on after he saw the images, which is you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think he was on set every day though. Was I, he? I think, I, I think he was closely involved. Um, yeah, I think he was around a lot, and I think had more input because they were c- close collaborators in New York. So I think he was very much trusted. So he so, wrote music for the radio stuff, presumably then Herman. Uh, yeah, he did. He right. did. Uh, yeah, he he was at actually he was at the radio station when uh, Wells went in there, and uh, so that's when they met at the radio. Right.
so the next one on the list is actually also one of my absolute favourites. Alex North's music from yeah. A Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah. Which is, um, I mean, apart from anything else, it's a, a, a fine example of jazz, is it not? Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the first in film, the most effective first you know, early mm. jazz score, I'd say. Really fantastic. And sets the it mood it instantly. Freshness. It gave it its freshness and its uh, sort of sexuality that, you know, of, of Brando and all of that. It's all in the music, I think. It's great. Well, it is. There's a famous uh, story, isn't there, about the scene where, um, uh, you know, when Stella goes and goes upstairs to be away from Stanley because he's being brutish and horrible like Stanley is. And then he's doing that famous, you know, still, I won't do my mind, Brando. (laughs) (laughs) It never goes well. Stella, he's doing that Stella, isn't he? And he's shouting up at her and she comes down the stairs slowly and then embraces him in quite a, you know, provocative way. Yeah. And um, the music that North originally put on that so heightened the sex the sexual tension in it that the censors wouldn't have it they said no you've got to change you've got to change the music because it's just too <laughs> too incendiary and they and, and unfortunately they uh, was it condia was it a condia thing i think it was had to had to take that the piece of music that north had written off that particular part wow, of the film that's yeah. fantastic it's censoring music for being too sexual yeah that's yeah well i mean the thing about i mean i'm a big fan of um um uh oh <laughs> you know what's his name oh for god's sake kevin the author of the play um terrence um, williams tennessee williams tennessee williams thank you this is happening more and more <laughs> it's age you know um big fan of tennessee williams but and Film doesn't always capture it as well as it could be captured. I always yeah. think. I mean, as, as good as those, Cat in a Hot Tin Roof on stage is always far more effective. And as much as I love the film version, yeah, true. Um, you know, it doesn't have that, that that sort of seething quality that Tennessee Williams has. That's right, Kevin. And also, uh, it's worth saying that that Brando came to mm. came to prominence through playing it on Broadway before the film, so he he knew it. He was it. Yes, and uh, so he brought all of that from the stage. Yes, uh, that's that's a big part of its yeah. power, I think. But as soon as it starts, that that, that the, the music I'm gonna I'm gonna play the streetcar track. Um, you're in, you're in the hot, sultry New Orleans uh, atmosphere, aren't you? <laughs>
yeah that's just wonderful isn't it it is that's great but um alex north actually also did two of my other most favorite scores which are um spartacus and oh, yeah. uh which i suppose are quite different aren't they because where did he come from north i think i believe he was a jazz you know he was yeah, yeah yeah he was he was one of the few americans i think wasn't he that they were, he yeah not the non-europeans <laughs> yes actually at the time yes you're absolutely right and yeah. um so spartacus and cleopatra and herman was another of course yeah um sorry who was herman was the other obviously. yes yes <laughs> but um yeah i think um alex north is is uh is, would he, would be to, is he underrated is he one we hear much now difficult to say i don't, I don't know I, yeah I, I i don't know i think most to most people except who don't share this strange yeah. <laughs> that we have, <laughs> i think all these names are complete mystery I, that's interesting isn't it no that's a really i'm i yeah i suppose films this is a thing i talk about quite a lot um or have made i bring up quite a lot because i'm turning into my dad and i repeat myself which is that film scores were the only way to own any part of the film Certainly when you and I were growing up, I would yes. imagine, sure, sure. you know, that you couldn't have it on VHS or video or DVD. Mm -hmm. uh, the only way to have any part of the film and to replay it was to have the score. And even then, scores weren't readily available in the same way that they are now. And yes. um, but what I'm fascinated about, what I've always been fascinated is this idea that the, the, the film score albums I bought were, I think actually we've discussed this before, were um they were like uh, a a trot through the score now you get an album and it's every one and a half minute cue every 30 second cue every every cue that's in the film is on the soundtrack album yeah whereas like the close encounters album i bought in 1977 was a sort of a almost like a close encounter suite from you know and yeah. it gave you that it gave you the the, the cliff notes yeah. which uh, seems a shame something because i'm not a, i'm not as hardcore that i want every last 30 seconds of the score I, i'm with i'm with you i mean when we've done soundtrack albums i mean i, I you want it to be a good listening experience don't you I, I, i'm much more interested in that than being than the authenticity to the actual film which is which is something slightly different to the scoring itself i think you know it might not necessarily be, be exactly what was planned uh, by the composer so um so i, I i'm with you i'd rather mm. have a, a fulfilling listen but we used to get that a lot i'm sure we did the so-and-so suite you know richard rodney bennett used to do a lot of that didn't he you know and uh, yeah. and the, the composers we mentioned like walton and 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 um you know Definitely. And Arnold. sure sure herman did that as well to some extent um yeah, I, I, you were you were saying the other day actually. I, I listened hmm. to your, your conversation with Bill Lott, and oh, which yeah. was which was great. And and you were talking at one time of you were talking about the the kind of the budget Jeff Love versions. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I used to make those. Oh, you did. <laughs> oh, fantastic. When I, was, when I was very young, I used to be uh, when you know, um, the, I did a my degree was in music music and sound recording. Uh, Surrey University, and so and that's so I was for about a year a sound engineer. Wow! And we do it in the studio a chapel in Bond Street doesn't exist anymore, and oh. I, I was very much a junior member of that team. Um, but we we used to record those Jeff Love albums, you know, like one every half an hour. Yeah, and all, <laughs> and all on the the twirly rack in Woolworths, weren't they? Yeah, <laughs> they, were, they yeah, sorry, exactly. You know, for sort of you know. <laughs> two pounds and, yeah uh, it, 
Yeah, they they nice. weren't in the main section where where you had to flip through them like you did in record shops. They were in the twirly um, <laughs> thing with that you you pushed around with the top of the pops albums. Yeah, that's right. I can remember buying buying one of those versions of uh, of uh, Mary Poppins and, and for, you know, for an affordable yeah. amount and thinking yes. and then being really really disappointed yeah. to discover it was all cover <laughs> versions by singers I'd never heard of. But I it think wildly we were saying. Upset on that uh, when Phil and I were talking about it that actually the, the, the one I had I had the big terror movie themes and the big war movie themes and actually they were mostly pretty accurate actually those they weren't too bad at all some of them were a bit iffy but the one we were talking about was Jaws how you can't get Jaws right unless you're John Williams conducting Jaws somehow it just doesn't seem it doesn't sound right you yeah. know um, which is kind of odd oh that's fascinating that's, is, uh, that's, yeah. that's a while ago Terry they were made. Uh, a, they, that was a while ago, Terry. They made those. Was, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a fair <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so actually, one year. Yeah, all oh, right, okay, but a memorable one. How was Jeff? Was he? Oh, was he Jeff, was nice. Was, we were loads of loads of fantastic. Vera Lynn, we used to do. We just oh, wow. Shirley Bassey, we used to do loads of them. It was really great. It was a good good year, but absolutely nagging. Right. And uh, and I just I was twenty one, uh, twenty two at that time. And just thought, it, and I looked at that sort of haggard, <laughs> divorced people right. ten years older than me. I thought, do I really want to be one of those? Uh-huh. I don't think so. So they were on the MFP label, weren't they? Music for Pleasure. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Yeah, right. which presumably was a subsidiary of I think EMI or something, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I think it was. Yeah. So the re- actually, so moving along the list, uh, the yeah. reason I've, I've gone back to her in your the list that you gave me that I've ordered. Um, I've gone back to Herman and Taxi Driver because it somehow seems to echo Streetcar Named Desire in a way. I yeah. mean, you know, I know Herman's the master, but uh, there, there, there are great similarities in that attempt to, to uh, evoke the urban heat, if you like. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Taxi Driver was a very late score for Herman, so. Um, but yeah, just again that thing as we were talking about earlier, just that having one concept, one really fantastic notion of what mm. the film is and what the score needs to do for the film. And it just I can remember just hearing the first two seconds of the score and thinking, wow, that is brilliant. Just because it said so much to me. I think, you know, I think we're looking at De Niro in his cab and, and at night yeah. with the big yeah. opening shots, I remember. Yeah, Nothing and it comes out of the haze coming up from the sidewalk, doesn't it? You know, yeah, you've got that steam because if it is, you know, in New York, you get that weird steam coming from the heating system, yeah. don't you? Yeah. I don't know. Does it still exist, that heating system? I guess it does. I don't know. I think it does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to, I'm trying to find um, who, I was reading a book about this and her, I was reading a book about Herman and Taxi Driver and uh, how, you know, because it was, it was pretty much his last score, wasn't it? I think it was because yes. Scorsese, who has a great understanding of the history of cinema, knew that you know to get yourself a Herman score. Oh, I know what it was. It was actually uh, the editor of Brian De Palma's films. I can't remember his name, which is appalling. I uh, just right. read his book, um, and how you had to treat Herman with kid, kid gloves all the time. He was very prickly. He was, you know, and very. By the time he got to, uh, it was because because obviously. De Palma being a big Hitchcock uh, fan, would you say? Copy? Uh, no, no, nothing, nothing. Um, 
Um, obviously, Herman was one of his heroes as well, and he wanted scores. I can't think of the film they were they were doing, but uh, what did Herman do for De Palma? Uh, I can't think. Anyway, okay. no. Um, and yes, he was very difficult to deal with. Apparently, maybe that was age. He was ill. He couldn't see very well. I think he was always difficult. Actually, was he? Oh. Even even I think even young he was quite tricky, right? But I and think I, I've read read some of this, his writings, you know, and all, and uh, he's <laughs> he was clearly you know setting himself up to uh, you know to not be messed with. Yeah, and he sort of didn't he? He kind of he did consider himself a genius, I think, <laughs> which is which up. is which is fair <laughs> enough. Um, I'm just trying yeah. to find what Bernard Herman did for uh, uh, oh, I can't find it. I don't know. Oh, it was, I think it was Obsession. It was a film, music by Bernard Herman. Yeah, Obsession, which I've not seen. So it sort of changes tack, doesn't it? It goes from that very kind of sinister thing to this really sleazy. Is it sleazy? Yeah, it's just beautiful, though, isn't it? It's a beautiful kind of ease to it. It's lovely. But yeah, I don't. I believe he didn't survive uh, quite long enough to to hear it <laughs> or see it in the film. Uh, Bernard Herrmann. I believe he died before the film was released. Yeah, 1975. He was only he was 64 when he died. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So there was still a lot of scores technically in him, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah there was. Goodness me, what a shame. Mm. 
So uh, next on the list is Jerry Goldsmith's score for Planet of the Apes. Again, yes. another groundbreaking score was it at the time? Yeah, I think so. I think well, there was there were yes, pretty much there was yeah. Just trying to think what Rosenthal was around at that time he was doing kind of similar things, but 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 I, but this is I think that of all the you know in techn musical technical terms, this is a kind of twelve tone score, so called. So it's like it's that which is a sort of system invented by Schoenberg like it, it, nobody goes anywhere near it in film because it's just too constraining and basically you can't play the basic rule although is that you can't play any note until all the other 11 have been played that's so the rule is it in in the 12 the rule. that's kind of serialism the so-called or, or the 12 note rule Wow. And so, so the whole construction is like that. So it's kind of bonkers, and it's but there's some been some fantastic music, but it's very very expressionistic and doesn't always work with film, and it's not flexible necessarily, except when you've got a master dealing with it. And Goldsmith, who di who didn't write that stuff normally, or Ros Rosenthal did more, but uh, that Goldsmith decided it was the right vehicle for Planet of the Apes being slightly otherworldly, and that's why it's so extreme and mm. fantastic. I just I just really, really love this score. And when I heard it, it kind of struck me, you know, like, like a like a thunderbolt. Mm. Really, it's mm. just so incredible. Yes, um, it uh, that's interesting because it, it did it, it. There was no indication that that score was coming from Jerry Goldsmith's previous work, was there? Exactly. It was. It was that conscious decision to do a serial score. Right, and also they let him do it. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. the other thing. Yeah, I mean, this was a big uh, studio production, wasn't it? Uh, it was Twentieth Century Fox, um, and yeah. it was a big oh, hit. Yeah. Ch Charlton Heston put his vest on. Um, I was obsessed with Planet of the Apes as a kid. It was a thing with me. Planet of the Apes, <laughs> I yeah. absolutely adored it. Um, well, the final scene, the image on the beach at the end damn you all to hell you blew it up i just um trying to erase the memory of the uh tim burton version which uh was a, i didn't i didn't go there actually no you did i like the new ones actually the um the more oh, recent yeah. ones they're, yeah, they're yeah, all right yeah, just, um music. but yeah that this, this music uh this is a track uh this particular cue is called the hunt which i believe is the presumably it's the the music when um uh, Charlton Heston and the other astronauts come across. They see the humans being hunted by the apes. And uh, you, uh, yeah, and they're amongst them. So they they're, are. They're they? Yes, they're sort of rounded up. It is a hunt of the humans. Yes, and Taylor gets shot in the throat, yeah. which is why he can't talk. And uh, yeah, I saw it too many times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
also turns up a lot in people's lists. <laughs> um, the theme from Schindler's List. Why particularly this John Williams score? Um, I, don't, it's, right, okay, I, I mean, I, I really admire John Williams, right? So, so don't take this the wrong way. No, no. But I really, really, I really like the fact there was no music in the first half of the film. And I just thought that was brilliant. You know, the first third of the film there's absolutely nothing no music at all and it's is there not and more painful because of it and then when it starts into this theme with, the, with this sort of folk jewish folk theme based thing that, that uh, then it just breaks your heart because you've had nothing and your release musically uh, oh. and, and your emotional release is finally permitted and we're inside the camp by now and it breaks your heart and i just that's brilliant yeah i did you, you know I mean? does that make sense to you yeah no it absolutely does and it, it's it i hadn't thought until you just mentioned it now that there was no music in the first half of the picture at all that i'd never noticed no, no the first a long long time third first third of the film wow absolutely nothing because all that emotional stuff rounding up the, the ghettos nothing and then, then you're there, and then the music, then the tune starts. And I haven't watched it for a while. That's what I remember. Yeah, I haven't seen it That's what struck me so powerfully. Though particularly those early scenes in Schindler, uh, would, it would be inappropriate to ladle music all over them, I guess. Yes, well, certainly ladle it, yeah. But you, 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 you know, most people would, would sort of go in there with a little bit of stuff, you know, and, but you don't need to be told what to feel, what to feel in those scenes. No. And... Uh, um, and its restraint is makes when when it's when it finally arrives, it's more all the more much more powerful, in my opinion. That's just that's good composing, writing nothing. Yes, it really is. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> good call. And also um, lifted and in, unusually for for film scores to have actually a sort of star performer in them as well. That's that's not a normal thing, is it? But Ishmael, Ishak Perlman's playing is um, ex extraordinary on that score.
next up on the list uh, uh now this is uh, in many ways it's it's the opposite on golden pond dave goosin which yeah. is you, you one one may level the accusation of this is kind of syrup in a bottle isn't it it, it is it is yeah and no, it's 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 a syrupy it's a syrupy film mm. I, I do agree. I, I just i just think the music is just just, just so so beautiful really and, and it's just the film is 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 very um hyper emotion it does wear its emotions on its sleeve and you're supposed to it tells you exactly what to feel <laughs> and uh, um and the, the music does that job as well i just think i just think it's really lovely the lovely music and mm. it did did fit the film it was what they wanted but yeah i'm not not saying it was a the best film in the world I no i it, i uh, didn't mind the film at all i was actually i mean it came out what uh, i'm gonna say 80s early 80s so i wasn't yes you know i, I wasn't old yes. and warty at the time i think it probably probably spoke more didn't it to a to an older generation at the time than it did to me not that it was no i'm i'm sounding like i didn't like yeah. the film which i did sure. but yeah. um i'm trying to think of dave grusin's other scores at the moment uh oh he's got academy awards and everything <laughs> yeah yeah no quite a lot that, that, but he he was pretty much on he was more firmly on the jazz side consistently than right uh, say alex alex northern but then herman though that, that he he was a jazz yeah performer got, and, um, and three days of the condor that was a good one i remember mm -hmm. liking that score um and all oh gosh yeah this is the thing about you composers you're so prolific it's difficult to keep up <laughs> <laughs> there are so many you know yeah and, uh, and i think dave greasins you know happened in a relatively short space of time so it's kind of like he was you know mm. he was there he was there and he was everywhere and then he was gone and then he was gone right okay well this is uh his music his uh yeah uh on golden pond henry fonda and Catherine hepburn isn't it
Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It is great. And very, would it be wrong to say it's a bit very 80s? Would that be incorrect? I think there were a lot of scores like that yeah, in the no, 80s. I, I think that's right. That sort of orchestral jazz. Yes, mm. that's right. You know, if, you, if you like, if you can describe it like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's great. Yeah, I could do with a little less wildlife on that. Uh, well, it's, it's in uh, the film, isn't it? The, it's uh, the, um, she mentions about, is it the lupins? I I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a bird watcher myself, but it's, I think it's the lupins when they return to the pond. That's what it is. They're quite loud. Yeah, they are. <laughs> How they got them in the studio, I'll never know. <laughs> so, um, um, anyway, great stuff. I like. Yeah, it. no, that's lovely. It is lovely. It is. So, Mr. Turner next, which is I. I love oh, the okay. score. I love the score. And now you, because you were involved with this one, weren't you? Uh, I did. I conducted it. Yeah, and, and just I've done all the Mike Lee stuff for a few years mm. uh, as conductor, um, with the composer get Gary Ershon. So that's become a uh, kind of regular in the diary. I think this the, the current one is um, very firmly on ice. I think is it well everything's on ice, isn't it? Yeah. But I I think this uh, this is a particularly good one. I think for me as a as a right. fan, oh. I, I really like this one, and it has a um, it's kind of sort of sad, isn't it? Is that was that deliberate? It's got a. It's got a sadness to it, doesn't it? And it's it's but uh, and it's 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 the kind of pulling and it's sort of sort of really kind of pulsating and moving around the standards. It was not what you expect. It's no. it's, it's totally the wrong era. And but I think it, it just it really kind of just goes straight to the emotion. They're like whales, you know. Yes. W a i l the the the, the saxes, and um, I, I I just think it kind of really works at a human level. And the fact that it's not it's incorrect historically, I think it's... No, I think that's fine. What I was trying to articulate in my own inept way was that it feels like it's reaching for something that it can't quite achieve. Not the score, because it achieves it, but the, yeah. the feel of the music is it's reaching yes. out in that's some way. That's right, it never lands, it's no. true. Mm. And uh, it's... A <laughs> years ago in Amdram, I was in a, 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 a Tom Stoppard play called... Um, the Rude Inspector Hound, which is tremendous fun to do. But there's a, a funny line in it, which has always stuck with me. When the second act o opens, the, one of the, 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 the critics says, well, what's happening? And he says, well, it's a pause. He said, what do you mean it's a pause? You can't, you can't open a play with a pause. And the first time I saw um, Mr. Turner, that was what struck me. He opens this film with a pause because it starts, doesn't it, with those two figures walking along the, the side of the canal. Yeah, and that's what Lee has done. He started a film with a pause. <laughs> yeah, and it's minutes. It's sort of three yeah. minutes or something. It's crazy, quite, it? quite something, and and uh, just just gorgeous stuff. This is um, and, and this this music. I think is it. Yes. Is this the start of the film? This is Mr. Turner. Uh, I assume it's the start of the film. I, I think it is. I think you hear these high saxes and nothing else. That's is it. Going yeah, on. yeah. So to, to to start a film with a pause, which is I'm gonna I'm gonna torture that analogy forever. <laughs>
So, uh, what have we got next? Oh, ah, this is a long one. <laughs> <laughs> so, this We're is. going to play 12 minutes of this. 12 minutes of just uh, after. So, why is it called? It's called Just Brackets After Song of Songs, close brackets. Yeah, it's. Um, By I, David uh, Lang. David Lang, yeah. Um, this this is uh, Sorrentino's Youth, and uh, mm. uh, uh, which was very joyous uh, to work on. I have to say, it was really really lovely. I I, I love the great beauty and oh, uh, love the, that, the, yeah. of Sorrentino, and um, and I just I was around a lot. I I had I had to teach Michael Caine to conduct. Believe it or not. Oh wow! He, he, plays, he plays a conductor yes. in this story, if you remember. Yeah, I do. And it's all around this a piece. A, 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 quite an involved piece with some fairly starry performers that we had actually you did and but michael michael kane is there at the end in the climax of the film he has to conduct this concert of his piece and he had to look convincing so i spent quite a long time with him actually a lot of time with him uh, so that was very pleasant and the sorrentino i really liked mm. and he had this italian crew and they were all good fun and it was just it was one of those jobs you didn't really quite want to finish so <laughs> So, uh, so I quite enjoyed it, but the, but but most of all, the, David Lang is—he's a concert composer. He doesn't do movies per se, right. and he's a very very interesting guy, and he's very much his own man. And so, he, I always find his music very approachable, but very idiosyncratic and very tasteful. So yes, I, I don't know. Did you like this piece? I did. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's it's. Um... I was curious about the the sequence itself where he conducts the the orchestra. Where was that shot? Um, I th it was that theatre in uh, Wimbledon. That oh right, so it was shot in London. It wasn't in some lovely place in Italy or. No, I don't know why they shot it all here. Probably because of Michael Caine to some extent. Um, right. But um, no, it, that all happened happened here. But it was a very very happy little yeah. period. Yeah. Just your mouth. Just your love, just your anointing oils, just your name, just your chambers, just your love, and my mother's sons, and my own vineyard, and my soul. Just your flock, just your companions, just your kids, just your cheeks, just your neck, just your couch, and my perfume, and my beloved. And my breasts And my beloved And my love Just your eyes And my beloved
doing too badly here so we got we got uh three to go um okay. and this is uh music from um nocturnal animals yeah able how do we say this sorry i'm really bad at this i i i, I know this because because i had to learn to say it right Abel oh right. Abel I, can, I can confidently tell you that's correct the number of times i get caught out when i've been doing some radio and i put this music in and i go it's oh and i, I trip this terrible english affectation affliction isn't it we can't pronounce other things <laughs> other than marmite and hp sauce oh well, yeah how do you but it does look a bit weird on the page but it is i had to practice it but we did a i did a film with him called we do you remember ah, that yes. uh, what, a long time ago now it was the madonna yeah. movie about uh, uh Wallace Simpson. yeah how did that um, go Sorry. How did that How go? Did go? In which sense? <laughs> well, it wasn't. It wasn't a big hit, was it? It wasn't a big hit. No, no, and, and no, it wasn't. A, it's it's fine. I didn't particularly enjoy the experience. I I quite enjoyed um, Arbel, and I liked his composing, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of interested me. And we did a few things uh, together. Yeah, and so this music from Nocturnal Animals, which is an interesting film. I mean, it was Tom Ford, wasn't it? 
was yeah. do you know what after when we did this i kind of i did that list and so I thought well, i don't know what to put on this list and then i then i just and i thought oh yeah not some animals and then i thought do you know what? i might just watch that again so i watched it oh you uh, did last night ah and um, it it's an even better film than i remember yeah it's crazy just beautiful it's every it's scary at the same time but it's also every single frame is is you could put a frame around it you know yeah. and put it on a wall just beautiful the thing i remember most about it is the the very opening i mean i haven't seen it for a while but it had that all those people didn't it? this very overweight people dancing up and down that's nocturnal yes. animals isn't it that's the opening title yeah. credits yes flesh yeah. you know real flesh yeah, yeah. that's right absolutely yeah, completely uncompromising yeah absolutely okay this is the, uh, this is a track from nocturnal animals directed by tom ford and it's called the field think in this series of podcasts what is going to become a theme is um because everybody so far has picked it is johan johansson score from arrival oh, right. mm -hmm. now it, i think it must be it, it's going to become a landmark i think would you agree 
yeah I, it's a it's a fantastic piece of work it's just just wonderful really it's very inventive and totally in tune with the film it's beautiful at times um and and disturbing at the, at the same time but somehow very human I, I think it's a real it's a really fine score it's terrifying i think <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying in places because now i'm delivering burgers for a living um and i drive around listening to film music and this one comes on it's suddenly manor park estate in upfield looks really menacing <laughs> but so uh, the other thing that johansson i just just yes. made this just yeah. made this link in my head like just now is mm. that he has that morricone thing of, of just the smallest correct gesture mm -hmm. and making it last and it, it does its job very effectively It's a bit 2001 as well there, isn't it? A bit of uh, Legetti, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, oh, Legetti, yeah. Legetti. Leg Legetti, yeah. <gasps> uh. yeah uh, but yes, uh, it is like, it is, it is, uh, in, in, in some ways it is, yeah. Legetti, is that how you say it? Legetti, that's, that's how I say it. <laughs> Legetti, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. As, a, as a fairly, I wouldn't say, wouldn't say lonely child, but as a, as, a, as a child who was the only person I knew, that had any interest in this stuff whatsoever. I would read words and that's how I would have them in my head. It was only as an adult coming across other people and I would say them out loud and realise I've been, I've been producing it wrong in my head for 30 years. <laughs> that's, that's allowed. How could you know? <laughs> I know. How could you know, actually? But I think that may, I mean, you, so presume, I mean, 2001 is an influence on pretty much anything, isn't it, these days? You yeah. know, everybody. But yeah, it is extraordinary. So, which brings us to the last one and one of my absolute favourites um, of recent times, um, Johnny Greenwood's score for... Oh, um, good. Um, that's good. Yeah, okay. that's nice to hear. Yeah. So the music for The Phantom Thread by Johnny Greenwood. He's, he's really... Um, 
shown himself to be a great composer, hasn't he, for, yeah, for film yeah, scores? Yeah, yeah, terrific, isn't it? Really, really lovely out of nowhere. It's great. Mm, mm. And, and a totally thrilling score as well. I mean, I, I find it genuinely thrilling. Even when it's being beautiful, it's actually thrilling, particularly yes. this track, The House of Woodcock. It has mm -hmm. a kind of, um, um, I wouldn't say it's not breathless exactly. That would be the wrong word. But it, it, um, it yeah. And what a film. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Did you like the film? Oh, Good. We were we were asking actually we were we were trying to work out and I'm not sure this is in the second part of Phil and I's discussion whether or not we and it maybe a question I ask everybody in the end is is it possible for you to love a film but hate the score? <laughs> Do, yeah. You know because we yeah. we generally might like it's very possible to love the score but not like the film, but is it the other way yes. round possible? Uh, Speaking personally, I would emphatically say yes. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> I I couldn't think of any examples, and I wouldn't expect you to certainly come up with any contemporary ones. But you know. Well, if I if I would upset a lot of yes, you know, that's what, of course, of course. Of the people, if I told you what, yeah. I, what my opinion, but there are some, there is there are some big there are some big films with Terrible. atrocious scores, in my opinion, and and still and they're always happy. Um, but um, okay. What was it? Uh, yeah, no, I don't want to put you in a compromising there was a, I tell you, there's a, I can't remember which, which of the, one of the really big Hollywood composers, I'm just trying to think who it was, um, had had a quote which I always loved, which which was, uh, no great score ever saved a bad movie, but there are loads of great movies that saved some awful scores. Yeah, I think that's probably absolutely right, yeah. But I just, because if you love it, I just wonder, if you love a film, do you love everything about it? You know, and that's probably not true, is it? Um, the more sophisticated uh -huh. uh, part of you should understand well, that there are bits of that film that you love that maybe aren't quite so well, good. I think so. And also professionally, you just have to stand back and just say, actually, mm. that's bloody awful. But you don't know yeah. why it's awful, do you? I mean, there could have been all sorts of pressures that... Oh, uh, yeah, no, no. The reason for it being awful, yeah, but yeah. yeah like no time, for example. Yeah, yes, no exactly. Yeah, But yeah. You, can, you can actually say that music is pretty crappy <laughs> <laughs> but the other the other question actually then the, the sort of last question i'll ask you then in this regard is one of the things that we've been talking about is um noticing the music in a film now i notice it because i'm a big film music fan but are you of the opinion that if, that, that that it should be transparent to the experience of the of the of the film or that you should sit there thinking, well now that's a lovely bit of music right there Rather than than noticing that the uh, villain is about to kill the heroine, yeah, I um, I, I, there's no kind of. I mean, I mean both are true. I, I think mm. there are times when you when you don't want to, you 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 just suddenly aware that there's something going on in the background, and you know, just with one's professional ear and just saying, oh yeah, yeah the music. When did that arrive? And and uh, that was good. Um, and other times when you really like Morricone, where you wouldn't want to. You know, there's no ex no excuse. It doesn't doesn't excuse itself. It's there because it needs to be there. You know, and uh, uh, yes. for example, like, and any number of other examples. So I would, it's it's uh, case yes. specific. I, think. <laughs> I guess that's a good that's a great answer because you couldn't imagine that last sequence of the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think it is, isn't it, with the three of them yeah. fight exactly. facing off across the the circular thing, and the music yeah. gets louder and louder and louder <laughs> until it reaches this kind of screaming pitch almost, doesn't yeah. it? And exactly. that is music fully drawing attention to itself. <laughs> yeah. 
exactly i mean it's just part of an art form isn't it so yeah. you know it's just yeah. one of your one of your it weapons is. <laughs> it is it is Thank you. 